When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatton rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia. He's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh. Welcome, fight fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Sean, joined all the way from the US of A today by Luke at Lukey Boxing on Twitter and ITR Boxing's YouTube channel. You've heard him, you've seen him, he's been on the dark side of boxing, but he's here to do this reaction show to Danny Jacobs losing controversially, and I, I might add very controversially, to John Ryder this past weekend. And I was just saying before we started recording this, Lukey, we never get the opportunity to actually speak about controversies and things in the current state of affairs and I'm really glad that you've come on to do this because you know you've got some some really great opinions and and you're quite open and active on on social media about that so I'm I'm happy that you've come on because I really do want to get your thoughts on 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 this real poor showing from the judges this weekend uh, people have got their own opinions about how they think this fight went down between Danny Jacobs and John Ryder but I kind of felt like it was a pretty poor showing. I think the British judge, Marcus McDonnell, was the one that got this right between Danny Jacobs and John Ryder because he went for Jacobs by two rounds and that was how I had this fight. But I'm going to hand it over to you. I really do want to know like where you sit with this. Okay, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, honesty is my weapon, right? The truth shall set me free. I think it was an, a pretty awful fight. There were moments where when the fight transitioned from round seven to ten, it, it got intriguing because John Ryder started doing the John Ryder thing. And what I mean by that is he's putting a lot of pressure on the guy coming forward. And you're like, oh, is John going to change the fight? I think the glaring thing to me, it's like I, I saw a lot of people talk about the decision. John Ryder finally gets a win, which I hate that. Like when people go, well, he should have won Callum Smith. He should have won this other fight. So now because like he gets a bad decision that goes in his way, everything 
is right. Well, it should be a one by one basis. It shouldn't be like a one injustice justifies another injustice. We need to try to be clear on that. But I think what really stood out to me is kind of what I've been thinking all along. The Danny Jacobs from the Golovkin fight, the Danny Jacobs from those Sergio Mora fights, that guy isn't with us anymore. You know, that guy after the big paychecks, there's something about Danny. And we saw Andre Rozier in the corner. He's trying to tell him, hey, Danny, sit on your punches. Don't let this guy get going. And there's like no urgency in Danny anymore. I think that's the word I want to use is he doesn't have that sense where he needs to win. And I I can't help but think some of that is financial security. He knows how to box. This is the way he makes money. He's making a lot of money doing this. But for this to be Ryder's marquee win, he's beating. This kind of felt similar to Sandor Martin versus Mikey Garcia. You know, I didn't. I thought Mikey won that fight being there live, but it is it really that defining of a win for Sandor Martin, or is it more about Mikey Garcia not really being that interested in this fight? I think that's what this was for Danny Jacobs. Yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree with that. I think Danny Jacobs for me took his foot off the pedal round six, seven onwards, and just seemed to let John Ryder come back into the fight. And and like you said, John Ryder does his thing that educated pressure. He liked the other a fighter. He did that quite successfully against Callum Smith, and that's where they sort of you should you should have got this decision this time round because of the he didn't get the decision against Callum Smith, and that's why should that happen at the end of the day on this particular night, regardless of whether whether his motivation is lacking. I still feel that he won that fight. I feel six rounds and I thought that he won round number 12 as well. And that, that to me then made it Dean 113 on the cards. And that's, that's how I had it. And there was a lot of people that do feel the same. And there's some people that feel like this was a complete robbery. And when, when you look at it now, was it a complete robbery or was it just like people say, a decision that could have gone either way? I mean, I think the glaring thing for me is I don't want to invest time in thinking about if it's a robbery because the overarching theme is whether it's John Ryder or Daniel Jacobs, neither of them left me feeling like they're going to be able to compete against the very best of the division. They're attraction fighters. They have names. But robbery to me comes when there's a major fight. After the fight, Eddie Hearn's talking Canelo. I mean, John Ryder's got to fight someone before he fights a Canelo. And there's a guy named Adios. There's David Morrell. He should be in that form of a picture. I think it's a little egregious to play with fans' emotions and say, okay, Canelo might come to the UK because he's such a popular figure. When John Ryder outside of the UK is a very unproven fighter, this is his biggest win. And let's be honest, Daniel Jacobs has had multiple fights now where he just looks as though he's really uninterested since I'd say since the Sergei Dervianchenko, that was the last time we really saw Danny Jacobs interested and inspired in a fight. He had that whole period where he didn't train with Andre Rozier. And then the Rosado fight was just lackluster. And then this fight, it just felt, I don't know if it was conditioning. I don't know if he lost interest, but it just looks like Danny wants to go on and do other things. And So, I mean, the word robbery, I get how someone could call it a robbery, and I do think Danny won the fight, but I think I want to save outrage for fights that both guys seem more emotionally connected in the fight. And I can can understand that. I think the body language at the end of the fight kind of told the story a little bit to me. I felt like both of them walked away and didn't really celebrate the fact that either one of them could have won this fight. I think both of them felt maybe... Did they do enough? 
I mean, that's that's the body language that came across to me. I'm no body language expert, of course, but I kind of looked at it. They both walked to the opposing corners. None of them put their arm up. There was no smiles in either, either of the corners, really. And it was only when the referee starts to call them together to give the official scorecard, puts his arm up first, and John Ryder does, and it's like, well... Do any of them actually believe they've won this deep down inside? Because I don't get the impression they do. But in terms of robberies, I don't think it was a robbery. I do think Danny Jacobs should have won. Uh, when I look at the fight, could could rounds have been scored differently? Quite easily. It's the most subjective sport in the world, as we well know. And I think it could have been scored a different way on a different night with different judges there. Of course it could have. Uh, I, I do think Danny should have got the nod. But then... A part of me feels like I was well. I'll put it. I'll put it this way to you, Luke. My heart wants John Ryder to win. He's a British fighter. I want to see him do well. I want to see him get an opportunity uh, at world title again. Because yeah, he was done over. I think a little bit in, in the Callum Smith fight, but that doesn't mean that he deserves a decision where he didn't actually win the fight. That that's the point I was making on social media at the weekend. Was you can't you know justify this win because of an injustice in his previous fights. I feel like Danny Jacobs won it on the night, but John got the nod. And I feel like, for 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 me, Danny Jacobs had that experience in the early going and was able to dictate the pace of the fight for the first six rounds. And like you was rightly saying, it's just like he's, he's stepped back a bit, his motivation just seems to have waned. And I think his last two performances prior to this kind of told me that this might happen on the night i mean the gabe rosado fight in particular i felt like it was a really close fight and and, and again even gabe himself in the comment in the post fight punditry was saying you know he was laughing he was laughing he felt danny jacobs won that fight on the night but then he also felt he won the fight against danny jacobs and it's like in a roundabout way that sometimes karma comes around and, and kind of gets you and and that's how it is but I don't like the fact that people use that terminology in boxing. At the end of the day, when someone wins a fight on the night, they should be given they should be given a decision. But it's a it's a part I'm accustomed to now. Unfortunately, we we have to deal with what the the judges say on the night, and 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 we never really get to see any of them again unless it's a huge, huge money fight. But for this one, it just it just taught me two things. It taught me that Danny Jacobs maybe isn't just in it now for the finances, as opposed to the motivation to be a world champion again, and that uh, John Ryder, I don't think would beat any of the other elite level fighters, I think if he was to get in there, by chance if he got that fight with Canelo, I think Canelo would, would have him out of there within six, seven rounds, I really do. I think that this this fight, on paper, and I kind of felt this way going in, was this was the historical fight for John Ryder's career. He's getting a fight in the UK, He's fighting a guy who had only lost, I believe, to Canelo and Golovkin. And then there's Dimitri Parag, who was a guy I was super high on early on. And he just never kind of could get healthy, he got injured, and then he just disappeared. And history will forget about him. But like on paper, this basically says John Ryder is one of the best current UK fighters because only the elite fighters beat him. And I felt like this was a moment to kind of give John Ryder a big win. And then he can go on for three to four years, kind of probably losing or having struggle fights with the very best fighters in the world. But this will be the justification for Ryder to now be at the top of the bill to get, whether it's a Caleb plant fight or whether it's a Charlo, David Benavidez, 
Canelo, like now Ryder's in the conversation to get these fights. Do I think he wins any of them? No. And I think that the problem is, I know Andre Rozier knew this going in, and I know Danny knew this, and I know Mike Basil and the great team around Danny knew this. When you go overseas, whether it's right or wrong, if the fight's this close, you have to assume Ryder's going to win because you're being brought in as potentially a star, but it's really about John Ryder. He's the local attraction. When John Ryder did that little rave dance after the fight, people are going crazy. And that's something people need to be aware of in this sport is the situation of where you're fighting. And I think that because Danny at that end of the fight showed no urgency, it's over. You know, I think that the the rounds that could be questionable are rounds one and four. Those are kind of the swing rounds. But outside of that, I think this is a very clear fight to score. 12 goes to Danny. I mean, you can make a case 10 and 11 went to Danny. It's really about three or four rounds. I don't know. To me, I don't really see Ryder winning the fight. But I also don't really see Danny making the case of being so urgent in the fight that I want to sit up here and use time out of my day to just campaign for Danny Jacobs being wronged in this bout because he didn't really seem too outraged walking to the locker room. No, no, you're right. And I suppose now it turns our attentions to like what happens next for, for both of them. I know you've obviously already mentioned about a few fighters within the super middleweight division. You think he probably needs that? Uh, he's obviously got a shot now at the WBA Super Middleweight title. I think it all depends upon what Canelo does next as uh, to how John Ryder's career will play out. I think the the Canelo circus goes on in it, and, and no matter what he does, numerous amounts of fighters across, what, three weight categories, depending upon what he decides to do next. So we'll, we'll get to see how this affects John Ryder going forward and whether he could end up fighting for a vacant WBA super middleweight title against the next ranked contender. People give Ryder more of a chance if it was against someone other than Canelo. Well, maybe they would. I don't think I don't think he looked the same Smith fight. He, he, for me, he bullied Callum Smith from rounds one to round twelve throughout the fight, and he just couldn't seem to get near Danny Jacobs. So you can imagine another fighter who's at a different stage of the career that maybe has more motivation than Danny, uh, and maybe more hunger than Danny. They wouldn't even give John Ryder a sniff in that fight. They would either they would either put the pressure on him and and stop him, or get into a hell of a tear up with him and stop him, or they'll just comfortably beat him on points and keep him at range and, and that's what Danny was doing for, for them six rounds but for, for, for when I go back to Danny's career now and I look at like where he's at I lost to John now like I honestly think this is coming towards the end of his career I mean this is no disrespect to John uh, as a fighter whatsoever but like look at the guys Danny Jacobs has been in the ring with like look at his resume I mentioned this in the in the preview to this fight like the experience on his are, are unparalleled, really, compared to John Ryder's. So, like, where would Danny Jacobs go now? Surely it's only going to be for the finance now. Surely there's that's got to kind of knock the world title ambition out of him after after losing this fight away from home. Because I couldn't honestly see him winning a world title based on that performance again. I, I just think he's just there for money now. Personally speaking, he's thirty five. He's he's had a he's had a hard life inside and outside of the ring, as we know, well documented. So for what reason now would he need to continue on to try and push for a, a, a big opportunity again? For me, it'd just be finances. That that's all the way I see Danny's career going. Is he's, he's just fights for finance as opposed to 
fights for World Championship glory. So I'm going to summarize where I see both guys going. For Danny, let's have him have one last fight in Brooklyn. Just get him somebody he can beat, and let's just send him off the right way. Let's have one final fight. Brooklyn, he can... He can call it a career in his hometown. Maybe it has to be a tough fight, but let's do one last Brooklyn fight for Danny so he can just say goodbye to all of his friends. For John Ryder, I see him kind of being a guy who might be in a couple of fight of the year contenders. He never quite wins the big fight, but I think that if things break his way, he'll be someone that probably attaches himself and connects with the everyday working man in the UK, in the fact that his skill isn't up to par on the world level, but his will is. And I think that that's readily accessible to all walks of life. But I think with such a great fight fan base like the UK, a guy who's outgunned in terms of talent, but his will is there and he's relying on pressure and toughness. I think that if he keeps having these type of performances, he could be an endearing fan favorite. And I don't see his career mirroring but I could see him being like a Kevin Mitchell type where people grow on him and they just go, man, that guy gave me some great moments to my life. So what do you, what do you think about the, the rest of this particular card moving, moving swiftly on now from the miss fight? Uh, the, the Felix cash Medaya fight was one that went a bit more different than how I expected it to go. I think um, Felix cash, 14 and 0 at the time before this fight came in there with with some really good wins on his resume domestically here in the UK. Medayev, um, I didn't really know too much about going into this fight. Uh, I managed to catch a little bit of him, and I thought maybe this would be quite tailor made in the early and the late stages of the fight. He was knocked down in the the second round. He was caught. He was also knocked down in the 10th round I genuinely didn't know whether he was going to make it through this fight. To be honest, but during the mid-rounds of the fight, he seemed to have complete control over Madaev. People are looking at it and saying, especially UK fans are saying things like, well, maybe he's not all he's cracked up to be. He's, he's not the fighter. He's being blown up by, by pro- the promotional team to be. Or I suppose I like to look at it in a different way as he never had this level of adversity in his career before and now he's had it and this experience should really put him in good stead if he is to go on uh, and eventually challenge four world honours in the, in the middleweight division. I think the the next step for me, for him here, would be to, to fight a, a ranked contender. I mean, this this title that was on the line at rankings title, WBC International Middleweight title, puts him on them rankings now uh, within the top 20, maybe top 15 and, and, and start to bring his name more vision maybe you know he could go on to be a uh, a voluntary defense or maybe even he could put himself into a mandatory position going forward uh, i just want to know what your thoughts were on on this particular fight and and what you made of, of felix cash and also what you made of medayev I, I was quite quite surprised there but not surprised in a bad way i was surprised in a good way so uh, i was going to be funny and say oh i didn't watch it but i did watch it i was going to i was going to hit you with a curveball right there but um felix cash to me this is we've seen this story before this is either going to be the motivation that turns him into connor ben or this is going to be that footnote in his career where everything was going good up until he fought this guy and then maybe they rebuild him but it's going to be very cautionary like an amir khan right because there, there's two directions but this this fight now will be what people point to as a major point in his career 
moving forward, it's up to him to determine the trajectory that this fight takes him. I felt there were a couple of things that scared me about Cash, one of which being I, I think Mog Madoff hit a lot harder than he expected. So when he was trying to keep him off, he was like, whoa, this these punches don't feel good. And then in the 10th round, he's very, very lucky he was at home because that not just could the point have been deducted earlier in the fight. I mean, there was a lot of leniency to get because he felt like he was very hurt in that final round. I think that what we're looking at is you're looking at guys who are on the cusp of fighting at the world level. And now we have to ask ourselves, can either guy truly compete at the world level? Can either of these fighters take that next step? For me, I'd like to see either of them fight the guy that main main evented the MTK fight night card, Danny Dignam. So one of these guys getting in with Danny Dignam and let's kind of create some parody here because Felix cash, I think has the personality that we're all drawn to, but now there's big, um fears around him like we don't know what he is i think deep down inside i don't know the politics i'd like to see felix cash down the road with chris eubank jr because those two have some type of rivalry and it seems like their personalities but you want my real opinion this felt like a very domestic level fight where these guys are going to struggle at this current point against the best in the division well this is this is for me how we're going to find out if he is going to be what he's being blown up to be. I mean, Eddie Earn seems to think Felix Cash is going to go on challenge for a world title uh, eventually. And, I mean, based off that performance, will it will he struggle with the big boys of the division? Absolutely. Uh, but people could, like you say, look at it from a different perspective and think, well, this is this is kind of like Conor Ben, really. Conor Ben had that, had that fight uh, and then that rematch, and it seemed to just turn him completely around, and he become a much more refined fighter rather than being quite wild and brash in the ring. And he seemed to refine the way he was working inside of the ring, and it made a massive difference to his career. I think people want him to be in big fights straight away because of his name, but I think he can he needs that progression. He really needs it. Going back to Felix Cast then, and on point there. I mean, he struggled at times throughout the fight. He struggled with with the uh, with the power of Medayev. Was it the power? Was it just the timing of the shots? I, I can't really say because I need to see him now in with another legit threat to to him. I don't want to see Cash in now with a guy who's going to be, you know, taking it easy. I don't want to see him in with someone with a a fifty fifty record. I want to see someone like this in the other corner with a winning record and someone that's going to be a legitimate threat to him and, and, and causing more problems and giving more puzzles to work out. Cause that's the only way as, as fight fans, we're going to know whether he actually is going to make it or not to the big level. And in terms of the domestic scene here in the UK, Commonwealth and he's won the British title, you know, I'd want to see him go the natural route, which would be to go to the European level and, and, and fight a European champion in, in the middleweight division and then maybe push on for world honours. I don't think we're going to know too much more about him until we see him in with another live opponent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, to me, you answered your question. What do we want next? I want a rematch because I want to see, is this an outlier performance or is this where both guys are at? Who is the vastly superior fighter? Because this felt very close and this felt like the rare moment where I think that this deserves a rematch at this level. And I think that that's it. If Felix Cash is the guy, I'd like to see him 
rematch this guy and try to prove that was an off night. I'm going to use that fight as motivation. Even though I won, that performance is not the type of performance I want. I'm going to come back and I'm going to try to have that Kell Brook versus Carson Jones. I mean, there's a lot of these fights in UK history. And more often than not, it forces the mandatory like rematch where the fighter has to prove himself. And the great UK fighters typically do. So I think I personally would like to see a rematch. Yeah, you're right. Um, obviously, Conor Ben's done it. Uh, you've had uh, Luke Campbell did it with Ivan Mende. Uh, Ivan Mende beat him, and then he come back and beat Ivan Mende more convincingly. Uh, did Amir think, Khan think, do it? I don't know if Amir did, because he lost to Brady's Prescott, didn't he? He never rematched Prescott. He lost to Danny Garcia, never never rematched Garcia. And then obviously from there on out, he's lost to like Canelo and Crawford. So no, I, I don't believe he, I don't believe Khan has done it. Actually. But there has been quite a few fighters that have done that, uh, where they've had a, a really rough fight the first time round, And, you know, people have questioned them and they've questioned that fighter's ability. And as a result of that, that fighter's had no choice but to, to try and put that to bed. And, and it does happen, like you say, Kelbrook Carson Jones was another great example you, you threw out there. Uh, Kelbrook wouldn't have been able to move on in his career without rematching Carson Jones and convincing the second time round. And I think, yeah, Felix Kashmadayev, I'd love to see again. Again, it's all politics now in boxing, as we well know. And I don't think Eddie Hearn's going to manoeuvre him in that direction once more if there's no reason for them to it's probably going to go the way I don't want it to go which is they'll put him in with a guy as a more lighter test before they then try and test the water again with a with a with another live name opponent uh, that's how I see Felix Cash's career going from here on out but in terms of the fight itself taking away you know any of the promotional stuff uh, any adversity it was a great fight I actually enjoyed the fight. It went better than I expected from my perspective, from a fan's perspective. Watch because it's shown that, you know, these were two guys that were unbeaten that genuinely wanted to win and they were doing everything in the power they could to to get that victory and it and it's shown in the ring and you know, I was just a little bit disappointed it wasn't chief support to the main event. Uh but I understood why the chief support to the fight, why the uh the, the, the penultimate fight before the main event was there, which was the uh, the Johnny Fisher fight. I understand from a business standpoint why they put Johnny Fisher on just before they put the main event on. Uh, but that's Felix Cash then, Felix Cash and Medea. We've, we've spoken a, a lot about that. But I just want to get your interpretation of the rest of this card then. Was there any other standout fights and performances on this card overall for you? I mean, Johnny Fisher looks like I, I want to see him versus Christopher Lovejoy. Because I feel like seeing this fight, I'm curious how that fight goes because Johnny Fisher looks very, very limited. It, like he was fighting a guy with experience, but a, a losing record. And this guy, I felt like gave him a lot more issues than the judges scored it. And he got cut in this fight. So I think Johnny Fisher fighting a Chris Lovejoy or a DeAndre Savage would be interesting to me. And Hopi Price. I mean, Hopi Price, to me, I've said there's two trajectories for him. Uh, he's either going to be the next Luke Campbell where he looks pretty solid until he gets to a point and it's like, okay, that's his ceiling. Or I think that he has the chance to be one of these generational UK fighters, kind of like a Carl Frampton. So I'm kind of charting the progress of Hopi Price. I know it's very early on, but Hopi Price to me stood out as much as John Ryder because I feel like when you're looking at what he's doing, 
it can translate to the highest level of the sport. And what did you think about Austin Amor Williams? Obviously, he keeps coming over here to the UK. He keeps being put on the UK fight cards. Uh, although obviously he's you know he's an American, he's he's been put on these cards quite a lot, and I think some fans over here are starting to adhere to him a little bit. They're starting to you know get a bit of a rapport with him going. He, you know he's quite friendly with the media here in the UK, but I've I've heard contrasting stories about how he is in the US and how he comes across. So I'm just wondering what your take on on that is, and of course what you think of him as a fighter at this stage, and and what potentially may or may not have. So for Ammo, I think that we first have to remember he's battled some demons outside of the ring with mental health. And I think a lot of people during COVID battled inner demons because when we were all locked in and we, we had limited social interaction, there's a lot of time spent in your own brain, right? And sometimes, especially in boxing, right? All of us, anyone that finds passion in boxing, this is not, we do, we do the darker side after show, right? There's a lot of darkness to boxing. There's a lot of demons people face. So I think inherently Ammo Williams is to me, someone I wish would get more attention just because of the fact he actually was accountable and tried to get help for having a mental health issue. I know he went out and made fun of his promoter, Eddie Herm, but it sounds like he had like a, a break, like something really went wrong in him and he was struggling. The thing with ammo to me is he's he's right now at a point where they've got to really figure out what they want to do with him because he to me has a lot of the traits of like a Jaime Munguia. And what I mean by that, maybe Jaime Munguia a couple of years ago where Jaime Munguia's defense was his offense and ammo has a lot of electrifying moves, a lot of uh, offensive oriented stuff. But at times we haven't like the Quintavious cash fight we kind of got ripped off because basically cash stumbles from a takedown and the referee waves the fight off. And because it's boxing, Quintavious cash will always be looked at as getting knocked by, out by ammo Williams, but Quintavious cash won the first round. Second round was even ammo catches him with a big shot. He goes to grab him. The referee is like, okay, stop the fight. And it was just weird. We need a fight with ammo against a Quintavious cash that can take him rounds because we got to see where ammo stacks up we got to see where he is ammo to me if we're if we're playing matchmaker felix cash and ammo are in similar spots so if if cash wants to take the next step and if ammo wants to prove himself that would be an interesting fight but i think to me right now my fear with austin williams is he relies a lot on his power a lot of on his god-given gifts and sometimes sacrifices defense, which you and me both know at the highest level of this sport, you have to hit very hard like a Keith Thurman or a Golovkin to give up sometimes defense because these other guys punch with you. I like him. I like him. I like I like what he's what he's doing at the moment in the sport. And and, and I know he had some demons outside of the ring. And, and I'm glad he's come back from them. And I'm glad that he's starting to, to show his ability in the ring. But I'm also quite cynical in the sense that I want to see him in with better fighters now. I want to see him in with with names that are going to test him. Live opponents, opponents that are not just there to survive for six or eight rounds and be paid at the end of it. I want to see him in with guys like like Felix Cash was in against Medayev. I want to see live opponents that are coming here to win. They don't care where they're fighting their opponent. They they come in to win. I want to see him with opponents like 
And that's where we'll get to see whether or not there is more to him than what meets the eye. And that's what I want to see. And there's always a danger of a lot of fighters at this stage of the career being fed fighters that are only there to be paid, only there to survive. But when you've got a prospect in your stable and you're wanting to progress them forward and you see them as the next big thing, surely you want to know whether they are the next big thing by by putting them up there and getting them into fights sooner rather than letting them go 20-0 after fighting 20 fighters that were paid to to be there to survive as opposed to fighters that actually want to go in there and win and, and cause an upset. So that's what I'd personally prefer to see for him. I'd like to see him in with a live opponent that's going to test him, that's going to put him under a lot of pressure, that's that's going to be really rough with him inside the ring and, and give him a lot to think about. Well, I think the other subplot too is Matchroom signed a lot of U.S. boxers and none of them are really panning out. And in order to really be a great boxing promotion, when you sign a wave of fighters, one or two of those guys have to become world champions. Right now, Otha Jones III, he took a hard loss. Ray Ford has had two draws. Not saying he won't be a world champion, but that's kind of stalling out where his progression's going. Ammo Williams gets that weird KO win over Quintavious Cash. The next fight he has, they completely move him down in level of competition. Diego Pacheco is moving along fine. But Matchroom really needs one of these guys to be able to get into the title picture because they're basically spending money and developing fighters but they're not really getting any form of a return. They're not getting them to the main event. And I think to be a successful boxing promoter, and this is why some of my passion is under the card. You have to develop guys on the undercard that you build them up, you build their record up, and then you get them to the main event, but you've done it all in house. So now you own the rights to the videos. You, you have the narrative arc, you've helped construct the story and now it's cohesive and you've done this from infantry infancy. And then now you can take that to sign new fighters. I'm curious if Matchroom is going to get a world champion out of that grouping of us fighters. I think that one of those guys will be a world champion. My question is, will Matchroom be the one that does it? It's an interesting question. I definitely think, um, Pacheo looks like the most likely to me of that bunch that could go on to to be world champion quite quickly. Hard division though. That's the that's the catch twenty two. Let's just see how they maneuver him. It's it's hard. It's it's easy enough for us to sit here and say like, you know, will they be world champions? Will they not be world champions? It really depends on the moves that get made with them in terms of the the promotional aspects and the managerial aspects. If they if they are stayed in the right directions and given the right fights at the right time, then maybe, just maybe, they will go on to become world champions. But, and it's a big but, it really depends on on how they are provided uh, opponents, how often they're fighting, uh, even even where they're fighting as well. I mean, if they if they're traveling them around and not just sticking to the same venues in the same cities in the same states, I I, I genuinely have always been quite champion of wanting to see these fighters travel around and wanting to see them get as much experience as possible at these very early stages of the career because I think that puts a lot of these these legendary fighters that, that we speak about on, on our pods, you, you know, you see a lot of them travelling around early on in the career to, to get that level of experience. I mean, Chris Eubank Senior, I mean, he started his career in America of all places, you know. The Chris Eubank goes to America in the 80s and sets his career up there. And, and many other fighters have, have done that before. Many other legendary fighters have done that before as well. Uh, and I want to see prospects like these be moved around. And, and I think when we go back to Amo Williams, 
you know, with the fact that he has been coming to the UK and they've been putting him on these cards, it's good for him. It's good experience. It's good exposure for him. Uh, and I think they need the other US prospects that, that Eddie Hearn's got in the matchroom stable because I think they will they will get a lot of success for it. For example, you know, Tyson Fury, Dillian White, if when that finally does get signed, sealed and delivered and it happens over here in the UK, if it happens in Cardiff or if it happens in London, you know, these, this is going to be a big stadium fight. It will sell out in the UK. People will want to pay to see it. Why not bring a couple of the, the US matching prospects over on the undercard and give them this experience and this opportunity to do this, you know, to, to brighten their horizons, to give them a difficult opponent to be in the ring with and, and just basically... In a way, just grooming him for 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 future for future fights and future opportunities. Well, I got to fight for you, and this is where boxing's missing, right? Is boxing is now turning into business and entertainment, whereas it's not as much sport. Where it's like, oh God, we can't have our guy lose. Whereas, like, I think from my perspective, I'm like, I'd rather a guy lose but be tested and be competitive than just a bunch of fights we're not tuned in on. How about maybe in a year's time, or maybe if Diego Pacheco looks good, how about John Ryder versus Diego Pacheco in the near future? Because I feel like that's an interesting fight, and that could possibly vault Pacheco into that conversation. It's a great fight. It's the value of the fight, though. Does Eddie Hearn see the value in that fight? I don't think he would. But I mean, I this think- is what's hurting boxing, right? Is like we're we're getting these fighters to this position, and now we're becoming businessmen, whereas like... I get Ryder's a British guy, and if he wins big British fights, but I mean, does does Pacheco not get some level of fan base if he were to beat Ryder in the UK? Like, I mean, I guess that's my logic is at a certain point, if we just keep stalling and waiting for like now Ryder's going to wait for Canelo, well, now there's five or seven guys that just are probably going to do the same thing waiting for a Ryder. Well, I'm going to wait until Ryder gets that, and then just makes boxing terrible. Well, there was there was one good example I can remember from way back when, and I remember Tim Bradley coming to the UK to fight Junior Witter for the the welterweight crown that Junior Witter held at the time, and you know Junior Witter at the time was a favourite because nobody really knew who Tim Bradley was, especially here in the UK. The fact that Tim Bradley did that and came over and and beat Junior Witter in his own backyard is a very similar parallel to what you're referring to. With, with John Ryder, yes, John Ryder doesn't have a title per se, but you know he's still now considered one of the great super middleweights in Britain because you know people like Callum Smith have moved up to light heavyweight and George Groves has retired and the other fighters that are around are not quite at that level yet to be talked about as as a, a world title challenger. So you know it's, it's 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 an eerie parallel really when you when you mention that particular fight with Pacheco and John Ryder. But that's when boxing turns business, isn't it? Like you've like you've rightly said, that's when they put the hats on, they put the business hats on, and they say, right, actually, no, there's no value in a Pacheco Ryder fight because Ryder's 33 years old. He he he's got this point now in his career where he's got to be world title or or bust because I think if he was to go on fight for a world title and lose, I, I could see him retiring. I could see him. If he won a world title, if he won, say, the vacant WBA title and Canelo gives that up and, and moves on, as, as quite possibly he will do if he fights Bivol, then 
you know, John Ryder probably will stick around for another fight or two because he can defend that title if he won that title. Whereas I think if John Ryder was, was fighting a guy for the world title like a Canelo and he loses that, I couldn't see him coming back because there'd be no reason for him to come back and fight after that. He, he'll have made his money on that Canelo fight. He'll have been financially secure. So I think that's where business does take over and it takes precedent in boxing as much as sometimes we don't like it to do that. That's where it quite clearly takes over. I think that that in a nutshell is what's hurting the sport because like whether it's football in your country, like the UEFA championship or the Super Bowl last night in America or the NBA finals, the business is a part of it with TV rights, but then the competition sets the matchups. And I think in the modern era where boxing is competing against all these streaming services like HBO Max, which is awesome, Netflix, it's not just sports anymore. They're competing... And when you look at boxing's prime, what was there only five things to watch on television? So not just were they making good fights, there was limited viewership of things. Now we're make we're barely getting the fights we want to see. And we have too much entertainment options. We have more entertainment we can choose than we have money to spend on. And I think that's the thing is we're talking about business, but I think the best business, at least to me, is maybe just trying to make good fights for one year that the fans want to see and consistently just make that happen. Because I think that all these promoters try to do that and then they lose money and they're like, okay, let's go back to kind of meeting our margins and all of that. And then that's where you and me get used and abused. We're going to be with the sport no matter what. We've put too much time into it. But does the sport grow? Not really, unless there's a Tyson Fury, unless there's a Canelo. There has to be a dynamic figure. And I think that what hurts is guys like Terrence Crawford, guys like Errol Spence. They haven't become almost like cartoon characters to either the American or the British culture. They haven't stood out despite being great fighters. They haven't made that leap. And that's hurt the sport. Yeah, no, it's a very, it's a very valid point, and 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 I agree with it. It's it's very difficult for for, for us as fans and and us that we do our podcasts and our channels because we know what we want to see. We know what as fans from a fan perspective, what we ideally would like to see. But because we also understand the inner workings of the sport more than the the average boxing fan, we also kind of know like how things get maneuvered inside of the sport and and sometimes it's not all as plain sailing as what maybe your average fight fan might think and and I think that's why it probably comes across when we do these conversations is because we we know there's ways and means of, of big big fights being put on really competitive cards being put on but the likelihood is is that the promoters are going to go for the ticket sellers especially here in the uk when when they base it a lot off ticket sales more so than than set fees for fighters you know they're going to put their ticket sellers at the top of the card and anybody else who's you know, who's a talented fighter, but maybe can't shift any more than 150 tickets for a fight, they're going to be shoved down to the mid or, or, or the start of the card and not really given that opportunity. I mean, Dillian White, Dillian White was fighting on these cards a few years ago. You know, well, I think it was like seven, maybe not, about eight, nine years ago, eight, nine years ago, before he, he started to come onto the matching cards. He was fighting on really small venue cards, small hall cards, and nobody knew about him except the hardcore boxing fan until he was given an opportunity on a card and that's when we started to see what he was all about and now look at him he's in this position to fight for the wbc heavyweight championship of the world 
there's there's not many of these guys that that get the opportunity to shine, and it is very frustrating because guys like Errol Spence and Terence Crawford, as you rightly pointed out there, to us these are these are well known names. You know, you think of these as the potential ruler of the welterweight division, but we're not getting to see these opportunities happen. These guys should all be fighting each other. Thurman now has come back and and he's looked pretty decent in his return. So he's in with a shout as well. Then you've got Ardenius Hugas as well, potentially fighting Spence. So, you know, we want to see these big fights happen, but it's the logistics of, of them happening as well, I think is the frustrating part for us. I want to share with you a Dillian White story. So uh, I'm in the Bay Area and there was a MMA fighter named Paul Simtax Daly, and it was a Bellator MMA show. And I actually went to the Bellator MMA show. I forget how, but someone kind of sent me a thing, said maybe fill out a media credential, go to the thing. I don't really like MMA. People have always tried to drag me into it. I feel like I have to cover it slightly because there's now a overlap between MMA fighters now fighting boxers, but it's just not something I really deeply enjoy. And he was there was a guy wearing a Dillian white shirt at a 24 hour fitness, which is a local gym in America. And I went up to the guy and I asked him and he said he was Dillian white for the life of me. I have no clue if he was Dillian white or not. Like I have no clue if this was Dillian white, if, but like I'd never seen a Dillian. This is right around the first Joshua Dillian white fight. So I'm not sure if it was a fan. It was a big guy. It was around the time of Paul Daly. But I have no clue. And that's like a, an unanswered question. If if Dillian White was in my local gym, because it's like it was a big guy. He was lifting a ton of weights and it was like a super obscure Dillian White T-shirt. Like it was like a you have to be close to the camp type shirt. And I've always that's something maybe if you ever talked to Dillian, that would be something I'm, I'm curious to know if he ever was in this small suburban town for one night and why interesting story i think if we ever get the opportunity to, to speak to him that's definitely something we should ask him around that time I mean, you know it's quite possible it could have been him or it could have been his uh his brother dean it could have been dean white who the legend dean part. white yeah <laughs> yeah he could be it could have been him it could have been him quite easily and he could have said oh i'm dillian well you never know, it could be a, a good opportunity to, to open a can of worms there, definitely. But just before we sort of wrap this part up of, of the big fight reaction for, for Jacobs and Ryder, I'm interested to know, like, over the weekend, there's, there was a lot of cards on in the USA, and, you know, me and Johnston don't really get the opportunity to really study the depths of a lot of these smaller venue cards in the USA, and, and obviously with all that you do over there and, and, and the involvement you have, uh, within within boxing, I'd love to know if there was any standout performances over the weekend that maybe some of the listeners, you know, should be looking out for. Uh, any particular fighters from over the weekend that we should be really keeping an eye on here in the UK? I mean, there's only one guy that stands out to me, and I think it's great to bring him up on this kind of platform. Is his name's Francis Hogan? He goes by Frank the Tank. He fought in like the Boston area, I believe. He's Irish, and he's ten and zero with ten knockouts, and he got a first round knockout. He's got 200 amateur fights. He got third in the Olympic trials in 2020. He's still very limited. He's still very young as a pro, but he's, he's fought a lot during COVID that stood out to me when he turned pro during COVID-19 guys like him and Brandon Moore, who independently got like double digit fights going during the pandemic. It's like, okay, there's something to these guys, massive ticket seller, but 
someone named Richie Hogan, someone posted this on my Facebook. So I assume he's related to uh, Francis Hogan, Frank the Tank, made a post where he was frustrated with the promoter. He said seven that uh, Frank, Frank the Tank, Frank Hogan, Francis Hogan sold $7,000 of tickets and he got something laughable like two or $300 for fighting that night. So I think if people can support him, he kind of reminds me of a modern era, Mark DeLuca. You might remember Mark DeLuca from the Kell Brook fight. I think that he's definitely someone that's going to go on the world stage, but I think also the fact that he sells so many tickets. And if that is true, that's horrible. I think that people supporting him in his journey because he's deserving of that. If he sold so many tickets and that was his return. I think an honourable mention for him over the weekend would be great. So that wraps up this episode, Fight Fans. Thank you for listening. Make sure you go and follow Lukey on Twitter at Lukey Boxing, his ITR Boxing YouTube channel as well. Make sure you follow him on there. And for us, of course, you can find us on social media at Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, the BTR Boxing Podcast Network YouTube channel. Make sure you do subscribe to us if you've not already subscribed on there. And please do follow us on the podcasting platforms if you're not already using a podcasting platform we are available on apple google spotify Castbox, basically wherever you can get a podcast we're there so please do make sure you have left a rating and a review on any of them apps that you can do that on uh, and finally we're back in later in the week for the big fight preview between amir khan and kel brook lukey will be joining me for that one really looking forward to be talking about that and thanks for listening to this one and we'll see you next time Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.